Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Blackcast on my phone, ready to play right now. Blackcast Blackcast 397 and this week we've got not one, not two, not four, but three interviews for you. First up will be musicians Joshua Seth Egan and Mark Slaughter of Slaughter of course to talk about a new project called Seven Angels. Then I'll talk to Jeff Carlson of the Jeff Carlson Band who have a new song which is a cover of an old song, Foreigner's Jukebox Hero. And finally I'll round out the conversation by talking to Zach Bear about his new song, Ordinary Girl, and also how he's working to raise awareness about National Suicide Prevention Month. So, without further ado, let's get started. Joining me now are Mark Slaughter, whom you all know as the frontman of the band with his name, Slaughter. Prior to that, the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. He also has a couple of great solo albums. Mark, it's uh, great to get a chance to talk to you again. Absolutely, my pleasure. And also with us is Joshua Seth Egan, who's the uh, drummer for a band called Seven Angels. They have a song of the same name. Uh, there's a video for it. More information, sevenangelsofficial.com. They're on Facebook, at Seven Angels Band Official. I have to make sure I get all that right. That's why you see me. I, I've got sort of the, the low-rent version of a teleprompter, just a second laptop right next to me. Uh, Josh, you've been a studio musician for a while now, and uh, we were talking before we got started, you're literally in, uh, in the studio now, right upstairs from a studio. Uh, and uh, from the notes, it says that you've been involved in, on some Grammy-nominating, Grammy-winning projects, and I was just wondering what a couple of those were and what some of your biggest takeaways were from those specific experiences. Um... I had, well, obviously one of the ones I'm most proud of, I loved Mark's record, Halfway There. That was kind of, you know, I was really proud we got nominated for a Grammy on that one. Uh, I worked with Pink, did her record, um, Try This, which had trouble and all of that. And that ended up being the, uh, uh, the first record that she won a Grammy on. So it was really cool. That was kind of one of a sweet spot. And uh yeah, it's been good. I've got to work with a lot of really great artists over the years, and it's really cool because when you're growing up, you you know you fantasize about getting to play with all these people, and then you know, you look over the drums, and there you are. You're in the same room, and you're playing with them. It's like you know, like man, mind blowing. You know, I, I one time looking out, there's Billy Sheehan on bass. I'm like, oh, just shoot me now. <laughs> you know, I'm just looking out, just cracking up. So yeah, it, it's been. It's been a lot of fun, you know, 
And I real quick, the, uh, another really great thing is the other drummers I meet because I have a studio as well. So a lot of my friends come in and uh, they'll come up and track. So, uh, you know, I have people coming in like Tristan Bowden or Vinny Cauyuta or Walfredo Race. All my buddies will come in. I'm going, oh, my God. You know, so um, it's, it's great. No complaints. Uh, and Mark, uh, obviously Seven Angels gets on your radar because uh, you and Josh have known each other for a little while, let's just say, right? Yeah, Josh and I uh, grew up together. We went to uh, high school together and uh, um, I was a guitar player at that time. So it's kind of funny because, you know, because since we've known each other a lifetime, he knows how I play. So he started doing George's project. And, uh, and also this one. And he said, Hey man, do you feel like playing a little guitar? And I'm like, yeah, just center with the tracks. I mean, especially right now it's perfect. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I, uh, knocked out some guitar and, and, uh, and it turned out really good. I'm real, real pleased and proud of what, uh, uh, the sum of it all, you know, it sounds great. Yeah. Before, uh, we started recording before Mark jumped in, Josh and I, we were talking about, you know, how you're, uh, you know, you're an accomplished guitar player, you're a great guitar player, but obviously of course people think of you as a vocalist first and foremost. And he of course knows Absolutely. from before that. And I was kind of talking about how I know on his most recent record, uh, Satriani just had Glenn Hughes, but he just had him play bass. He's like, no, I don't want you to sing. Just go ahead and mm -hmm. play the bass. And it's like, you don't always think of, you know, somebody who has a voice like that, but how good they can be at something else. So that, and like you're saying, so the, at this point, it was just like, great, I'll just play some guitar in it. And uh, was it's actually, uh, it's very enjoyable to me because, you know, usually, you know, when you're, you know, when you're a vocalist, you're, you're waving the flag for everybody, you know, when you're a guitar player, it's like, you know, you just kind of plug in and go, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's an easy thing. It's like chewing gum for me. I've been doing it so long. Yeah. Look, it's, it, it's great to, to be Mick Jagger or Axl Rose, but then there's something cool about being the guy there with the cigarette and just, you know, just, yeah, just being able to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hang in the back and, and smile at it all, at it all. That's exactly it. Uh, so uh, Josh, tell us about, the band seven angels you know who's in it with you how you guys all got to know each other and uh, it seems like this this sort of came together because you work so much in the studio right yeah actually it was um we had been doing projects together as a band forever uh bob reynolds and i go back 25 years or more uh jesse vasquez same thing and uh so we started the project and uh as we went, we, we had James Oda Baker, a, a great guitar player as well, an amazing writer. And, and we had started off a project just writing and it became sort of this pet project we had over the years, you know. And uh, we were getting closer to doing it, but it was hard because everybody's schedule got busy. You know, we're doing all these other projects. So we had a record pretty well done. And um, when coronavirus hit, it was just kind of sitting there. And it was one of those things I told Mark, like, man, I'm just really like this thing sitting here and it's like, you know, a diamond in the rough. But, you know, Bob Reynolds is, is a monster singer, you know, and, and I'm just going, you know, we're listening to the tracks and it just sounds so good. And, and we're like, okay, got to do something with this. And I showed Mark and I said, hey, what do you think? You know, and uh, originally the band was called uh, American Dinosaur. You know, it's a joke. We're all, you know, yeah. we're all, we're all dinosaur rockers. Hey, you know, and uh, yeah. so 
it, it was like it was like a tongue-in-cheek thing and, and that was sort of a working title for years problem was it was a few years into it. we had finally had time we finished all this up by the time we were ready to actually release something there was a band called american dinosaur oh, no. and they were kids they were kids and i'm, I'm cracking up and, and the band's good you know check it out they're they a good band they had two records out and already toured i'm going okay well that's sucks <laughs> you know so um bob we we were looking for names and and seven angels came up because it was a self-titled tune and the connotation was really good about it because you know you have the seven archangels and it's you know it's there's a there's the good side and the bad side sure. you know and it had a very good connotation especially with everything going on we're like oh that's a good name so yeah, and obviously it uh, sounds nothing like the song, but uh, when I saw that the song was called Seven Angels, the band of Seven Angels, of course, immediately you think about how Bad Company has the song Bad Company. And then you're just like, right. well, yeah, of course, that just sort of says who they are. So, I mean, this is this is the song that, that I've heard because it's the song that's out there. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you specifically about it, and you, you can tell me if it's just me, but I listened to it a few times, and I, I, I'm like, am, am I just hearing this? But I got this like overture from Jesus Christ Superstar vibe for uh, some of the some of the early, you know, the beginning of it, and I, I listened to it afterwards. I'm like, no, I, I feel it, and maybe maybe it's just me, but I also feel like thematically it ties in because the lyrics talk about you know how everything's all right and not saying that this is even a spiritual song but it just uh it, it just that's where it took my mind to now is this is am i is this just me basically well this the the first of all the intro and the outro in the middle section mark had come up with so okay. this, that was after the tune was written mark had come up with this whole sort of overture intro uh, but the, the tune itself Bob had, had we had had the tune and Bob went and, and went back and went over the lyrics and, and worked them out. And as he was writing it, it was coming from that place. There was a, a spiritual thing behind it where he was saying, because, you know, what you go through in your life and the struggles, you know, that you go through, you know, somebody, you know, throw me a prayer, you know, it's, yeah. you know, it, it is it, that it's more of like a street you know, sort of guttural thing of like, you know, you, you've been kicked and beat, you know. And, and, you know, the, the, you know, what I came up with on it is it, it is kind of that Egyptian dash, you know, uh, Bethlehem. It does have that, that uh, Middle East vibe to it. And uh, what I was doing in the, in the scale that I was using on it. But again, to me, it was almost like I felt that, the things I did guitar wise on this was more of a, of a, uh, um, a tip of the hat to two of my favorite guitar players, Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck. I mean, I sure. think there's a combination of, of, you know, two of my favorite guitar players. And I kind of heard that in my head the first time it went by on the track and it's a great track. And, you know, like Josh said, when, you know, as far as, uh, you know, Bob's vocals on it and everything they're just they're fantastic I'm like well what do you want to do with the vocals are fine he's like no dude I want you to play guitar on it you know <laughs> like, oh okay yeah I don't get those calls often you know but um, I had I had a I had a blast doing it and, it, and the end result is uh, you know there is a lot of um, there's there's just an underlying energy to this song and it was it was great to be a part of it 
Yeah, and uh, as I mentioned, there is a video for it, and the video has a very modern, as in very socially distant feel to it, because it seems like you know nobody's in the same place. But I think that lends itself to the way so much music is made, where you're not in the same place anyway. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, talk a little bit about making the video. I mean, it, it, it it's clearly a bunch of separate shots, and and you know. Uh, that that really it seems to speak to like yeah and i think they're all outdoors you know so it definitely has sort of this wide open kind of feeling and there's you know some well, nice scenery was, in the beginning of it as well yeah the the, the tricky part of that was originally there was going to be a film crew you know uh, first we were coming up to the deadlines for the release dates for george's record and for seven angels and then covid got worse and worse and then the lockdown and you couldn't get any film crew to come out so we had to shoot that ourselves. So we went out guerrilla style and did it. And then Georgia had to literally learn how to do Adobe on the fly. And she learned it as she was doing it. And I was literally blown away, but she's incredibly artistic, you know, being from Rome, she's an artist and sure. a painter. And, um, so she just has that, you know, in her, in her wheelhouse, she can do that. I don't know how that she is, but she does. So we did it. And, but it was a little tricky because especially with Mark being in Tennessee, um, uh, Bob and Jesse and I all live in Santa Clarita. Oh, okay. So we're literally a stone's throw. Bob is five minutes from me and Jesse's seven minutes. So um, we were together, actually. We were all there <laughs> for me. We were together. Oh, but we funny. had to make it look like we weren't we had, because Mark wasn't going to be there. So we had to make it feel like there's a separatism so we consciously did that thing, but there is a green screen. We're all there in front of green screens. So we shot on the green screens where we were, knew we were gonna do cutaways. And then we knew uh, Bob had the Harley, you know, so we went up into, uh, into uh, sort of near Vasquez Rocks, you know, up off the 14. We went off into the canyon and we were shooting. So we picked spots where the guys would all be together, but we were all there for the shoot. So we picked our spots and we came and did the green screenshots. Um, and then Mark, uh, Mark had to do his shots. And we said, well, Mark, can we get your truck? Because <laughs> it was too cool. You can't, you cannot have that truck, not in the video, you know? Yeah. So basically I, I went outside my studio park, my truck cranked the tune out here at the farm and just shot a video. <laughs> But and, then, then we call Mark, and then we called him back, Mark, that's really cool. Look, can you do some inside too? We're going to need some other cuts. So we were literally on the phone back and forth going, oh, can you go inside now and shoot? And let's get some close-up shots. And, you yeah. know, it was great. And video, and video files are very large. So, like, I would do the shot and then put it in my laptop and let it upload while I was filming something else. And that's how... <laughs> That's the time frame of how we were doing it because it was just, you know, we're down to the last minute, you know. And then I got to call Mark back going, dude, I have the cheap version of Dropbox. Can you take the one out of it? I can't get the new one. <laughs> the file limit was exceeding. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've dealt with that too. Just just with audio files, sometimes it's like, yeah, uh, yeah I, uh, I, I, I have the free one. I need, uh, I need some help with that. So obviously, Mark, that's a, a lot different than, you know, where we are now, the ease with which you can make videos uh, yourself, uh, that's obviously such a far cry from, you know, 30 years ago doing, you know, Up All Night, Fly to the Angels, you know, sort of these oh, yeah. you know, huge I mean, budget here's productions. The, here's yeah. the truth, but, you know, the slaughter stuff, what a lot of people don't realize is in the slaughter stuff, um, you know, we were doing those records, you know, Dana and I were in the studio, just knocked them out and, 
and you know we're very friendly to the studio like much like josh is so you know it's like one of those things we can all speak the same language it's real easy for me to 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 talk to josh about what he's looking for what the track is you know i played the guitar in seven angels of what the track needed not a showcase of hey look what i can do because that's ultimately that's the most important thing i think as a guitar player which you know you think different as a singer than a guitar player and then guitar player you go what's best for the song mark can you think of any guitar players who when they play a solo their whole intent is to show you what they can do whether it fits the song or not does anybody come to mind you don't have to name any names no i don't know anybody like that (laughs) no but you know what nobody in music knows anybody like that there is no one like that yeah there's nobody Uh, yeah that's an anomaly yeah uh so yeah. you you guys were talking about grow, growing up you know going to high school together what were some of the bands that you guys kind of discovered at the same time you know like oh my god have you heard this have you heard that you know like were you just excited to share with each other like a new band that you found or uh, that sort of thing uh i was tony orlando and dawn you know right because <laughs> you got to knock, knock three knock times time. Knock yeah, three don't times. knock tony i love yeah. tony tony orlando is awesome he's great people <laughs> yeah yeah um, you know, I, I think that, you know, there was a lot of, you know, we played jazz in jazz band, we played in, you know, in other stuff. So, you know, I listened to a lot of studio records and like Lee Rittenauer, Larry Carlton, and it was the same wheelhouse of what Josh was because he was listening to Steve Picaro, Steve Gadd, all these guys, or Jeff Picaro, excuse me, and Steve Gadd and all these guys that are just amazing players. And we were influenced by these incredible studio cats so to us it was really one of those things that we would share the parts hey listen to this i know it's not really something you listen to normally but you'll dig this so we were really in the far reaching of things the 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 rock that was going on i think everybody was influenced by it but as far as that background and that learning and and the chops and that stuff i think that's one of the things that we grew up sharing and trying to grow musically yeah because you you would have like everybody would come to school dude did you see rush last night or you know or van halen or journey or whoever all the big bands would come in april wine you know you'd have the big bands that would come through town and uh iron maiden you know so everybody be at school the next day with the shirts on or whoever saw the concerts and that so that was always a kind of a thread through everything but then you had on the side, like you said, you'd have, we would listen to Rittenauer, you know, going, oh man, check this out, or Larry Carlton, or, you know, Chick Corea, you know, so we were kind of. We're kind of nerdy, you know, music <laughs> guys, to be, to, to really call it for what it is, we we're kind of nerdy music guys, and I, you know, and again, even in my whole persona, I've, I feel like I've always been just kind of the guy next door. I never really looked at myself as, as a rock star, so to speak. I'm just like, I just love to make music. I just love the art of going out and having a good time and being the, as a singer, the ambassador to the party to say, Hey man, everybody raise your glasses up. Party starts now. (laughs) You know, it's pretty cool. Well, I think it's also important, you know, obviously as a musician, but even somebody who just listens to music like I do, you know, being able to know like, yeah, look, this jazz music is great. And also, you know what? Tie Yellow Ribbon is a great song. So we don't oh, need yeah. to, we don't need to knock Tony. Tony Erlander. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? I know Tony and I see him. I never see him except at airports. So like I'll run into I'll run into Tony Orlando and I'm like, hey Tony. He's like, hey Mark, how are you? Like, great. 
you know, it's like an old Vegas thing. Yeah. That's the other thing that Josh understands is, you know, we grew up around Vegas. So that was like one of those things. And, you know, Tony said to me years ago, he goes, you know what, man, he goes, you might not see it now, but you're the next into the casinos and you guys are going to play casinos and do this stuff. I'm like, Oh yeah. Right. Tony. And lo and behold, he's exactly right because he's gone through the process as an entertainer. And I think that's what we are ultimately in all this is an entertainer that you take the music out to people. You try to, you know, we try to make music that, that we were passionate about as kids and still are as, as adults, that we really try to share that, that passion for music as a listener, as well as a player. So I think that's really what we're doing in this. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things to that. Obviously, like playing a casino gig, well, not right now during coronavirus, but say, you know, last year, you know, doing a, a right. casino gig, it's not the same as it was, you know, 30 years ago. I mean, I, I've, no. I've seen Alice Cooper <laughs> in a casino, yeah. I've seen Kiss in a casino, you know, I mean, and some of these casinos have these huge showrooms, you know, and I mean, right. uh, and these are sort of the, you know, the Native American reservation ones that I'm thinking of, but obviously, right. I guess you had like, you know, the joint of the Hard Rock, these places, those places are huge. So like playing right. a casino is not what it used to be, you know? So I think no, that- Yeah, it's changed a lot, but at the same, at the core, it's ultimately the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Las Vegas is known as the entertainment capital of the world. That is the title of Las Vegas that, that you know, and that is what we grew up in. Josh's father, you know, played piano with uh, a lot of the greats, you know, a lot of great players. Well, my brother Chris had a good analogy a few years ago. We were talking about it when, you know, Kasami like passed, Sinatra, all of the, the Rat Pack is gone, you know, the old Vegas. And he said, you know, we, I came in town and I looked around and it was right around Christmas or New Year's Eve. And it was Chicago, Celine Dion, Journey, and then all the bands. It was one band after another lined up. I think even Nugent was there. It was like everybody was in Vegas. It was probably 25 or 30 bands, a cheap trick, you name it, Aerosmith. Every band was there. And, and my brother goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, they're the new Rat Pack. He goes, because the icons passed, and this is the new generation of Vegas, you know, it's the celebrities now can go there and the bigger icons because we all grew up. It's like our parents love Sinatra or Sammy and so forth. Well, this is for us. This is our generation, you know, yeah. and and you again, Vegas, as much as he used to laugh about it, they have the money to put the sound systems in. They have the money to put these incredible elaborate stages in. Which is really in fact, cool. In fact, one the one the 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 stage that I actually graduated on. I think you graduated on that stage as well, uh, Josh. Is uh, the Latin Theater for Performing Arts was yeah. what it was. It's a plan of Hollywood now. The 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 venue itself stayed the same. It was yeah. made for concerts. So like all these incredibly rock, you know, great rock artists would come through like Josh said, one night was Rush, the next night was Van Halen. So we had these amazing uh, touring bands that would come through and the, the theater, which held about 8,000 people, was just made for great sonic sound. Oh, I mean, it was just unbelievable, really was. Yeah, I mean, First that's the theater that- I was the doobies there. Yeah, what's that? Sorry, you, so you guys saw the Doobie Brothers there, you said? That was it, that was uh, when I was a kid, my brother took me to the Doobies when- uh, nice. uh, Michael McDonald was in the band, Skunk Baxter, Tom Johnston. 
and it was like that was like my first big concert it was the Doobie Brothers over at at, uh, at the Aladdin. And his and here's fun. And the other the other thing is funny is Tom Johnston. His brother was our was our dean at our high school. So I mean, it's just like it's all freaking it's all intertwined. Yeah. Like really, no matter what, we were like, yeah. Dude, no, whoa, whoa, whoa! That was his brother. Think about it. When we did, we did a, a we did a, I still have the 45. He How wrote the song. Happen? Yeah, you, you're just now realizing that? <laughs> no, I didn't know. I swear to God. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, he wrote this track and he said to Josh and myself, and I can't remember who was playing bass when we tracked the song. It was, it was, Char it was Charles. It was Charles Gray and it, and it was JD. The, yeah, it was, a, so it was the four of us. Yeah, yeah, I have that. I have that 45 around here someplace. But and and again, we we were always you're always around talent in Vegas. Like his father played piano with, with uh, you know with uh, everybody, and that's one of the things you didn't really think of it as a kid because you're just living. You know, you're like, hey man, we're gonna go down to Seven Eleven get a Slurpee and then we're gonna rock out. Okay, you know, it's like <laughs> totally different mindset. You know, but yeah, it was. It, yes. it was funny because the old Vegas thing, remember, in high school, remember I used to like, I was working at the Stardust. So I, right. I would, I'd have to be at class in the morning, but I was working at the Stardust and Frank Rosenthal, Lefty Rosenthal was my boss, you know? So I remember right. the movie Casino with yeah. De Niro and she, that was my boss. Was, was you know, <laughs> I mean, De Niro was playing Rosenthal. So it was like all the mobsters would come in. So I would be playing to two, three in the morning. I'd have to go home, you know, after getting off the gig, get like three hours sleep, rush to school, you know. Come back in, you go, dude, on Friday, played last yeah. night. It's like, you know, like, oh, I'm just so tired. Like, come on, man, let's rock. Drink a sparkling apple juice. You'll be all right. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned to circle back to the stage that is now the Planet Hollywood. I know that uh, the Scorpions had a uh, residency plan there, which I know they're going to do next year. But you're talking about it. And I'm like, oh, one Christmas, I took my wife to see Gwen Stefani there. And you know what I'll say about that Gwen Stefani? The sound was amazing. And, right. it, you know, it really is. And, you know, I mean, any of the places that I've been there, uh, they really have that. And you guys have the advantage when you grow up somewhere like Las Vegas. Now, I grew up in kind of the rural suburbs, but outside of New York City. So if, mm -hmm. if a band was on tour, I would get the chance to see them. So there was always that opportunity. And, you know, sometimes they would even come closer to where I lived, like the county fair and stuff like that. I didn't have to go all the way into the city. And so it's interesting when you have that kind of exposure. Uh, a few years ago, I, I interviewed, a, it was like a Southern rock band, uh, the Kenneth Bryan band and the main singer. I, I kind of asked the question, I ask a lot of people like, well, you know, what were uh, the first concert and what was like a moment where you went and you're, and for him, because he grew up somewhere really rural, it was like, oh, it was the Guns N' Roses Live at the Ritz concert on MTV. It was like something you saw on TV because you right, right. didn't get out to see like, the, you know, those bands aren't things that you get to see. And I think that's why, you know, even to this day, tribute bands can be such a, such a great, you know, uh, business model because you just go play places where the actual band doesn't Here's, play. And it really comes down to this ultimately to circle back around. It comes down to songs. It comes back to songs that emotionally move the listener in a way that, that uh, it becomes your soundtrack or reminds you of something, you know, um, and, you know, that's, that's a key point with it. It's just like, you know, it takes you to that great place. That's what music does. It heals and it heals all. I, I love that. I just love making music. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously you grow up sort of like the way you're talking with it in the background, how it's always there. It is just like the Slurpee at 7-Eleven. Uh, I'll ask you first, Josh, what's the moment where you're like, oh, I, I really, I, I don't want to just do this for fun. You're like, this is, this is the thing I want to, you know, was it, was it even like a, a drummer you saw or was it just like a show where you're like, this, is, this was so great. This is how I feel that I, I need to spend my time now. Um, in all honesty, um, there really never was a moment. It was weird because my dad played and it was always in the family. So like when I was a little kid, I would see Basie's band over or I would see dad playing piano with Sarah Vaughn and the thing. And, you know, so it was always, I knew that's what I was going to do from when I was a kid because it was just there in the house. It was like, wow, this is cool. You know, and I would see the music I always, you know, but I thought of myself, I was going to be a piano player or, you know, and I sucked at piano Then I tried guitar and then my brother tried to teach me and I sucked worse at guitar. And my dad was like, why don't you go play drums? He goes, it'll help your piano playing. So he took me to the drum shop in Vegas. It was the day Elvis died. I had my first drum lesson, wow. came home, found out Elvis died. And then, uh, and that was it. It was, but it was the first time I felt like that was the instrument that really spoke to me was being a drummer. And Mark, you were, obviously we established that you were playing guitar. When do you first think like, oh, you know what, I'll take a, I'll give it a shot for singing. Did just other guys know that you could sing or how, how does it come about that you actually start singing? I, I sang my whole, you know, I always sang. I was always singing, you know, in, from the swing set you know, as a kid forward. Um, and I always listened to records. You know, for me being good, I would get a 45 record at the end of the day, at the end of the week for doing my chores, et cetera. So I would, you know, that was like what I look forward to every Friday is to go and get that 45 or an album. Um, I just love music. And again, you know, I knew I had the passion for it, but it wasn't like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and then around fifth grade, they were having an audition for choir. And I thought, well, I can sing. I know I can sing, but, you know, I didn't know how good or bad I was. So I joined this choir in fifth grade. And the two gals that were running it played uh, acoustic guitars. So I watched what they're doing in their fingers and I was like, I can do that. So then I had like this toy guitar that my sister bought me that the string action was like an inch off the, the strings. <laughs> I had him tune it. And then a month later, I'm like jamming on an F chord and playing these C chords with, you know, strings that you shouldn't be able to play. And they said, you know, he could probably play. He's got strong hands. So my dad got me a cheapy harmony guitar. And that's when I started get focusing more on guitar and singing. And then it became guitar. And then I ended up dropping it. I taught guitar. And then I became a singer, Baptism by Fire, with Vinnie Vincent, which was totally crazy because then there's no security blanket. I'm just standing there with the microphone opening for Alice Cooper or Iron Maiden going, man, that, this is cool. I love Maiden. I love Alice Cooper. This is awesome, you know? Yeah, and I mean, in that in that case, you the, you know, you hadn't done that record, right? You toured for the the record that right. Robert Fleischman I sang, did. Yeah, I, yeah, and I sounded, I sounded, uh, I had the same tonal quality as as Robert, so it wasn't something everybody was kind of like, oh, that doesn't sound like the guy. They they put me in the video. Um, I, I guess Robert wasn't going to tour with him anyway. So, uh, and he's a great guy. I've I've gotten to know him in the last. Uh, a uh, couple years at the kiss conventions and you know i never would have known him without that you know but uh great singer great guy great talent he wrote wheel in the sky for journey he was in journey 
initially Robert Fleischman right. was, and then and then uh, Steve Perry came in. So great singer. Which which it's funny to think about the fact that like you know down the list of like here's what I can tell you about Robert Fleischman. Oh yeah, and he also wrote Wheel and Scott. You know, I mean it's just right, it's, right. It's, it's like the little yeah no he's front. yeah yeah and he's and he's really talented. He's very artistic, and uh, you know and I think that's the key point is you know this this is not a talent contest. It's really it's about entertainment. It's about you know, making people's lives just like the same thing. I, you know, for me in music, it's like, I remember, you know, going to those concerts and seeing Van Halen or Rush and just going, Oh my God, I totally want to do that. That's so cool. And you could see how the, the energy in the whole crowd is being a listener and a fan in the, in the audience, you just go, wow, this is so cool. I want to be up there and how I want to make these people feel like I'm feeling. I think that's what you fall in love with. Yeah, and I think some of us fall in love with it, and we realize pretty quickly, oh, we don't have uh, you know any kind of alacrity for any of those things. So we'll do something else where we get to interview people who can do it, and uh, <laughs> you know, mostly mostly writing. And uh, you know, my my day job for a long time, I've worked for the comedian Dennis Miller, and uh, so uh -huh. I've like warmed up crowds for him. I don't do stand up or anything, but it's like I've, like for his his comedy specials. So I'll go out and tell uh -huh. people like you know, if you go to TV taping, it's like I make sure you applaud. And laugh really hard, you know, all right. that stuff. You see the sign light up, you know, yeah. what everybody you do, let's you hear do all you that one stuff. Time. But it's yeah, still exactly. like I step, I step out, and I'm like, yeah, but there's like five thousand people here, and it's like, you know, right. and and they're all looking at me, and then I, you know, I'm not a comedian, but I made it, and it, you make a joke, and it doesn't go over. You're like, okay, yeah, this is for the yeah. professionals, you know. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's better for me to just. Uh, sorry, what were you going to say, Josh? Well, no, no. It, it's like Mark was saying, he goes, when you, you know, when you look up on stage, you go, yeah, that's what I want to do. Like, you know, everybody has that, that wide eyed moment, but then the reality sets in when you go, yeah, I want to be Eddie Van Halen. And then all of a sudden you got to carry the amps in the back of your car, <laughs> you know, you're carrying Man, it. Exactly. Back. I was like the token dude who set up everything in, yeah. in bands when I was a kid, I was a guy with the truck. So I would be moving all the equipment setting up the PA, wiring the whole system up while everybody else is taking a shower and beautifying. And I'm like running to the <laughs> sink to wash my underarms out to, to go do a show. But I mean, there are those people who really just are perfectionists and want it to be right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what I was, how I was even the way I was wired when I was a kid is I wanted it right, I wanted it to sound good. And, and I wanted people to have a good experience. And in reality, that's the moment you realize that you love it is when it's yeah. you're on the worst side of it and you still going, yeah, I want to do this, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what really separated. It wasn't the worst side, even though, you know, that wasn't even the worst side. The fact was, is we were able to play and that ultimately yeah. everything that you do is for that hour or two hours that you just look forward to, to go, oh yeah, that's why I took three planes and, you know, drove 250 miles to get here. You know, you, you know that those things are the things that, that you will do for your career. And it's not just money, it's because you love it. Yeah, you know, and it, it kind of reminds me that uh, one of the best things about the Van Halen story is that, you know, David Lee Roth, was, they thought he was a was a decent enough singer, uh, but it was the fact that he had the equipment. So they were like, all right, well, I yeah, guess he's PA our system. singer now. Yeah, it's, he's got the yeah. PA, so he's our singer Yeah, because of, of Dr. Roth, his dad bought <laughs> yeah. him the PA. 
exactly. Yeah, which I, I just love because, you know, with a different singer, they probably, you know, look, Eddie would have always been Eddie, but uh, you don't put that band together in the right way. You know, maybe we, we never hear them well, outside of backyard parties in Pasadena, you know? Well, David Lee Roth, no matter what anybody says, is the epitome of a, of a front man. That guy can move a crowd and do what it is. And, you know, he's a great front man. And Sammy was a great singer in, for Van Halen. So, I mean, yeah. you know, not that he wasn't a good front man. It's just, you know, he's David Lee Roth was like doing the splits and doing all that. It was all his moves that made it like, man, look at this guy. He was a front man. It was a show. And, and I, I mean, that's, that's still Dave at the beginning of March, right? Right. Like a week before everything started to shut down. I saw David Lee Roth at Staples center open for kiss. And uh, I was just like, you know, I, I probably hadn't seen him. I don't know. I'd seen him solo probably like, I don't know, early nineties, 92, maybe somewhere in that range. And I was just like, yeah, Dave's Dave's still Dave, you know, and he's uh, yeah. very entertaining and it's great to see him. And uh, you know, he is definitely one of those as, as at least just a music fan, you know, people who work with him might say something different, but uh, just, to, just to watch that guy, it's great. And, you know, sort of the thing you're talking about, about, you know, traveling because it's your job, just somebody as growing up a music fan, I, I talked about, I was a little bit outside of New York City, so I had to make a special trip if I was going to see anybody. It wasn't just down the street. So, right. and then the first concert I ever go to in 1990 is Alice Cooper. And I'm like, well, I can't do any of that, but this is great. Like, I definitely know. And the second concert I go to is at the local county fairgrounds. This is in 1990. Uh, Kiss is the headliner. And so the second band I ever see is Slaughter. And oh, I, wow. I, I, like, I went and bought that cassette the next day because I was just like, I want to hear all these songs, you know? So it was uh, like, that's great. Yeah. And it's great that, you know, you're still at it. I, you know, I talked to you about three years ago when Halfway There came out. Right. And I remember from that interview, the same thing that right now that the whole time you were kind of playing on your guitar. So I'm kind of wondering, are you working on anything specific right now? Anything that uh, you have plans for or just kind of messing around in the studio? Um, as I sit down here, I mean, it's also a thing for me. I can actually, you know, do scales and do exercises while I, while I'm just sitting here. It's just one of those things of probably the ADD in me is like either either my fingers are going to go or my butt will grow legs. It's like that type of things that happens and I'll walk out. So I just have to be moving. As far as writing, I'm always writing. I'm always playing. I'm always hearing songs. I wake up in the middle of the night hearing songs in my head. So, you know, I, I just really just try to put it all down and then have a, a reference point to go, I have a song for that. And then I, I can do something with it. Uh, and you know, uh, your, your website, just markslaughter.com. I did uh, take a look and I see that there are some shows listed for later in the year. And usually if, if we'd done this interview like two months ago, I would have just assumed that there's no way they're all happening. But I talked to Randy Rand from the band autograph and I was kind of asking him the same question I'd ask anybody. It's like, Oh, so you're trying to get back on the road. He's like, no, we played a gig last week. He had played a gig yeah. in Colorado for like 7,000 people. So right. there are places, you know, where things are happening. Uh, so our, as of right now, we're talking on August 21st. Are these gigs that, as far as you know, are still going to happen? I mean, they, they, it seems to be yeah. a regional thing. Like I see you have a gig in Texas. Texas seems to be a place where shows might actually be happening. So I was just kind of wondering. There's probably about four or five shows that, that are not canceled that are still out there. And, and again, it's not for me to say, it's yeah, like sure. we have to wait for the government, we have to wait for the promoter. 
you know, we're already contracted for those dates. So we're just in a holding pattern. You know, it's kind of like joining the army in this thing. It's like, okay, boys, it's time to jump. And everybody jumps on the plane. You know, it's, it's the same type of thing with, with that is, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're ready. We have about, uh, you know, like, like I said, about five shows, we were asked to do surges and we were asked to do another show. And I just didn't feel it was the right time. Sure. So, you know, we held off on that. Not saying that, you know, there's other bands that are doing that, but um, I, it, I think that we're all just trying to, I, how would I put it? I don't want to be the, the bug zapper and, and the light that brings all the moss to the, the bug zapper, so to speak. I sure. don't want to be that. And that's kind of how I look at it. I, I really want everybody to be safe. It's not a money grab for me. It's about everybody enjoying a concert, not walking away sick. So uh, and, that's where I'm at. And Josh, obviously, uh, Seven Angels at the moment, uh, there's, there's nothing planned. But you mentioned that you guys all live in Santa Clarita. So, I mean, are you just waiting for the Canyon Club to open so that you guys can walk down the street and do a gig there? Or, uh, or when's the plan to try and do some live shows? Well, we actually had planned on it. That was what we were hoping to do, but we're going to actually be streaming from the studio. We're getting all set up to do live concerts and stream out of the studio here. So um, it's been a little bit of an investment in camera gear and so forth, because I don't really see a lot of the venues. A lot of my friends are doing the venues here, but then they're closing again. They open, they close, they open, they close. Um, yeah, it would be it would be awesome. It, it, we've had people been asking us to do uh, uh, to go out with Seven Angels. We even in New York, we had some people asking us to go back and do a couple music festivals that are coming up out there uh, with Seven Angels, and then with Georgia, do a double bill. So um, yeah, it would be great. But it, it's just a hard thing to know when the time is right and when it would be a safe thing to do because you know. Um, I, I just on I mean my end like Georgia my wife Georgia her sure. her sister is a thoracic surgeon in Rome, and her mom was at the pharmacy so they've been ground zero in Italy for the yeah. this whole thing, and it's really serious, you know and I think they've kind of we've politicized it and made it different things over here but the truth is it's it's still around and it's coming back and and. We haven't even kicked the first round of it, and we're going to have a second. Yeah, we're still in phase one right now. I mean, that's a crazy thing. We haven't even ended the first part of this pandemic. So it's like, you know, it's it's hard. And I keep running into people. There's people I know that have it. There's, you know, it's just, it's nonstop. And it's, for some, it's a little easier than others. But, you know, there's also, you know, some people that have died, you know, due to it. So... Few musician yeah, we, friends have that, yeah. I, that were deathly sick on on life support for three weeks, and you know their kidneys are ruined, heart failure, you know. Yeah. So it, it it really is serious, you know. And that's a scary thing, is you know. And at least in our age demographic too, we're not kids anymore, nor are people fans in that. You know, everybody's middle age, and you know it's, it's something to think about. Or if you are healthy, God forbid but you're carrying it and you bring it home to somebody, you know? So that's a, it's a scary time right now. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that's the way a lot of people look at it. And Mark, I think you uh, kind of really summarized it perfectly. You don't want to be the bug zapper that people are attracted to because it's one thing of like, you know, I need to go to the supermarket. Sometimes you, you know, you got to get something at home Depot or target, whatever, but 
<clears throat> you don't have to go to the movie theater, which here in Southern California, they're not even open. So it's besides the point. But I, I read that they opened in a lot of the country yesterday. And it's like, well, do you really have to go inside of a restaurant? Why don't you just bring it home or, you know, and then uh, all right. over Southern California, we see the, the tents in the parking lot, like the Denny's parking lot, and people are eating in the parking lot under a tent. And I'm like, is that fun? Do you want to just bring that home right. maybe? Like, what are you doing it for? So yeah, well, the idea of indoor concerts in particular, especially just imagining a, a, a small venue like the Whiskey, you know, people are just, you know, crammed in there. Yeah, and when it's crammed in, I think, and you know, again, which we're really not getting into it, but the truth of the matter is, is in this whole virus, it's like Legionnaire's disease, it gets in the HVAC system. It gets yeah. in those smaller clubs, nursing homes, in those areas where the air is not cleaned, it's not cleared out, it's not sanitized. And that's where it spreads the worst is in those instances that nobody's really saying anything about that. But live shows that are outdoor, less apt to have any issues. Get yeah. into clothes, can, you, know, you know, even on a plane, you know, you're breathing the same air. And those are the places where it's dangerous. Yeah, the, uh, you know, I referenced the show that uh, Autograph did. That was an outdoor show, which makes sense. You know, I mean, I think that people are more inclined to do it. And I've seen pictures, I think it's in the UK, they had a music festival, but it was like all these little rectangles and you had to stay like in your rectangle. So it was like assigned seating, but there were no seats. So it was like, you have to be this far apart. You don't go outside of that square. And I, I mean, I think that that's where we're headed and and i don't know i think anybody who doesn't want to perform anybody who doesn't want to go to a show you get it uh it's just i think that a lot of us you know maybe didn't realize that the the last show we went to was going to be the last show that we saw you right, know right 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 you know i mean i referenced seeing david lee roth and kiss at the staples center and that's twenty thousand people and that was you know so like literally a week afterwards you know everything like my kids schools shut down everything started shutting down i'm like uh-oh, I was in a really big place with a lot of people. So I was a little nervous for a while there, you know? So right, right. I would hate that feeling. I mean, you God forbid somebody gets sick, but also just, okay, I don't feel sick, but am I going to? So yeah, I think right. the idea of waiting and, and, you know, Josh, to your point about doing the live streaming shows, uh, I've, I've, I've watched a few of those and there've been, there've been some great ones. You know, the monsters of rock cruise has like a channel, uh, that right, they, right. they've done a lot of stuff. Blanco just did that. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. I talked to uh, Frank Hannon and Tesla a couple of weeks ago. He, he did something there and they seem to have LA guns did that. So it seems like there's something like every week and it's great. And then, you know, you're starting to see individual bands that are just like, do you want to watch this stream? It's it's like a live stream. This isn't like a concert from two years ago. Uh, you know, just uh, PayPal ten bucks and you get to you get like a virtual ticket to it. I think uh, I, and I think that could be more fun too, especially if it's like interactive in some way. You know, instead of yeah, instead of on. instead of yeah. shouting out Freebird, you can just type in the message box Freebird free, question mark. Free. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, uh, it's been great talking to both of you guys, uh, and uh, very excited to hear more from Seven Angels. Uh, Seven Angels Band official uh, is the Facebook and uh, well, I see I got it mixed up now. I had it right before. But then I looked at it the wrong way. So it's Seven Angels Band Official is the Facebook, sevenangelsofficial.com. So I guess it is really the same. So, uh, and that's where we can find anything. So, uh, Josh, any ideas on uh, when we might hear more songs from the band or is it all pending? 
more songs, more songs from the band. I think he there's more songs that they've already recorded. That we've been doing, and Georgia's record released for her. And uh, so Georgia's record will be releasing another single in a few weeks. Uh, and Mark has already played several. Uh, so they're ready to go. And Seven Angels, we're working on them now. So like Jody has us releasing every eight to 10 weeks. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that, that's a great way to do it. And it's a, you know, I, I, I love getting all these, uh, Hey, do you want to talk uh, here? Here's a new song that you, that I would not have heard if uh, Jody didn't send it to me. So yeah, yeah. yeah, it's always great to get these conversations and, you know, are you still working with Dennis Miller? Are you still yeah, working with I do a podcast he's great. with him. Yeah, he is I co- great. I co-host he's the great. podcast with him and you know, he uh, He's a Pittsburgh he, boy. Yeah, he is a Pittsburgh boy. He can talk to uh-huh. he can literally talk to anybody. We did a half an hour yeah. with Oliver Stone. Uh, it was super intense, but he's fascinating. And then you yes, know, he is. did a half an hour with uh, with Nugent, uh, Alice Cooper, you know. I mean, we we get a, a good mix of uh, music and even, you know, even somebody that he's not as familiar with. He talked to Klaus from the Scorpions. And honestly, he knew like two Scorpion songs, but it's like, it doesn't matter because, you know, he's such a good conversationalist, you know? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's very, very humorous and and, uh, and, uh, insightful. That's for sure. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, I I appreciate it. And uh, Mark, I know you're on Twitter at Mark Slaughter 33. And and Josh, it's all Seven Angels official if if, uh, we want to keep in touch with it. And Josh, I, I feel like you know, this was the part of the conversation before we started recording. I, I feel like I know a, uh, a certain Mexican restaurant that I'm very likely to run into you in the pickup line. Uh, I, Mark and I have been working on sponsorships, right? We're going like, hey, man, that's, you know, the whole world comes down to sponsorships. So I'm not really saying much, but I'm just going <laughs> to, man, this is really good. Right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, you know uh, and obviously uh, you know I talked about uh, slaughter touring with kiss if there's anybody who knows how to uh, you know synergize the branding it would be uh, Gene and Paul Uh, that's right I literally got a Facebook pop-up ad letting me know that their restaurant in Buena Park which isn't that close to here it's where Knott's Berry Farm is letting me know that it's reopened just because I like to kiss page just so so you know you can go out and get some look at some kiss memorabilia and you can you can take a picture with our records and our boots. <laughs> and that's really the reason I brought it up because I wanted to try and get Mark to do the impression. Anyway, thank you guys so much. Looking forward to uh, talking again in the future and uh, getting new music from both of you, Seven Angels and Mark, whatever's next for you. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Thank you. Jeff Carlson of the Jeff Carlson band. They have a great cover of the Farner song Jukebox Hero, which you can find out more about at jeffcarlsonband.com. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks for taking the time to chat today. Thank you. 
Thanks, Christian. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Now, tell us a little bit about how the uh, band got together. You you guys have been together for a few years, and uh, the band got together in Vegas. Is that where you guys all live? Oh, yeah. or Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, we live here. Um, basically, uh, I moved here from uh, out in the Midwest. I lived in Springfield, Missouri originally. That's where I'm from. And um, I moved to Reno in 95, and then I moved to Vegas in 97. And when I got to Vegas, I basically met Corey, um, my bass player, and our original drummer, Kyle uh, Kelly. He was with us for a little bit. But, uh, and then I met Robbie right directly after that, my lead guitar player. And right. I, I moved. We had different carnations of different na- band names. I mean, we started off as Angel Park, then we changed it to Liquid Sky with an E. And then in uh, 07, fast forward to 07, we, I moved to Tucson with my wife and daughter, and um, I moved back here in 18, and basically, uh, re- you know, they, they were free, so I, hooked, I, I uh, reformed a new band. It just, and at the time, I'd gotten a, a, a small distribution deal with uh, Mike Bailey, the drummer for um, Brett Michaels, uh, sure. solo band. Yeah, he had a he had a label called Potomac Records, and uh, he signed me to a you know just like a release a single you know whatever, and then he folded it. And then uh, last December, I signed on with RFL Records, and um, it's been great, man. You know, we're real fortunate. Yeah, no, absolutely, because uh, you know you it uh, you always get that help uh, from uh, having a label, and I, obviously I want to talk to you more about the band and about the song, but the fact that you're living in Vegas, I just figured let's take a minute and how how's Vegas doing? You know, I live in LA, so I usually get out there every few months. Now I haven't been there since December, and to be honest, I don't think I'll get there this year. Would love to go next year. You know, I don't. I'm not. It's because I'm not going anywhere. You know, yeah, but know. Uh, how's it going? I know some things are open and I know there's like weird rules where like, you know, a, a club like Vamped could be open, but nobody can play music or I don't even know. So what's what's the lay of the land there right now as we talk well, today? As, far, as far as I know, Vamped is closed indefinitely right now. Okay. I don't know, I don't know what the, because they were open for a while, Yeah. but they, they stopped having live music. I think they were only open from like Thursday to Saturday. Oh, okay. And, and you could, they stopped their smoking policy altogether. Not that I smoke, but they used to be able to go out in the patio and smoke out there. Sure. But they stopped that. And then I don't know what, if it's, it, I don't know if it's like a regulation to where the COVID cases have to go down to like, we'll say 3% before they right, can sure. reopen. You know what I mean? I, I'm not sure what the actual protocol regulations are but um yeah it's it's pretty dead (laughs) yeah i mean obviously for you know the majority of uh tourists and such who come into vegas they think of the casinos and in addition to the going into the casinos to gamble there's obviously always you know for my wife and i we're always excited to go to some of the great restaurants there on and off the strip you know my yeah my uh my dad had a timeshare that we would borrow that was it was like off past like the the orleans so it was like yeah i used to work there (laughs) right so exactly so it's like it's like over there and you kind of got to see the neighborhoods and you kind of you know you just go to target just simple things Uh you kind of get the feel for what it's like for people who actually live there whereas when you're on the strip you don't get that at all right right. so uh you know obviously it's nowhere near where it should be but do you feel like you know enough things are doing well enough that 
you know, whether it be, oh, they're doing takeout, they're doing, you know, uh, partial, you know, whatever percentage of capacity. Do you think things are well enough that, uh, that they can hang on for a little bit or is it, uh, is it, is it not great there in Vegas? Honestly, um, I have not ventured out on the strip because I don't know if you know this, but at, when, you know, the locals, when you live here, unless there's something major going on, you or a right. concert you want to see or something. I mean, it, it's, it kind of loses its luster kind of sure. thing. You know what I mean? It's not a big deal. So I honestly have not been on the strip since this has started. Yeah. And I just know that the only place that we played was Counts Vamped and we played the House of Blues in Mandalay Bay. Sure. Now, I don't think that room's open yet either. So, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, it's, no, it's tough because bands in general aren't touring. So if you're going right. to have performance, it's going to be bands that are local. So, you know, I, I feel yeah. like the the first time you know venues there in vegas are looking to have people would be bands like yourself that are already based there oh yeah because so uh yeah and i mean you know here in la it's like we don't we don't, we don't even have movie theaters open and that's uh, yeah. it, it's funny when you think about the fact that you know this is where all those movie studios are but we don't have I movie know. theaters open you know? i know so, it's crazy man and, and look we, you, go ahead wait oh i was just gonna say we we played the whiskey last year three times yeah. you know and i mean it was a lot of fun but I don't think they're doing anything right now either, are they? No, they're they're definitely not because you know they they would have to be open for food. And look, I I, I love the curly fries and chicken fingers there, but I don't know that that's really where their business model lies. You know, that, yeah, yeah. So I go to the Rainbow and have pizza. <laughs> right, exactly. Now the Rainbow the Rainbow is open for takeout actually. Oh, are they? oh that's cool. I think cool. you can eat. I think you can eat on the patio there. Which oh, right on. Yeah, so that's cool. But. The whiskey doesn't have that, you know what I right, mean? So, right, right. Yeah, so I think it's, you know, you're, you're, I don't know, you're in like this holding pattern for the most part. You start to see little things, you're like, okay, this is a little bit better. You feel a little right. bit better about these things, but yeah. we're, we're still a long ways off. And, you know, yeah. that was why I figured I would ask that, uh, you know, because, you know, the, the best part of being in Vegas was usually, you know, when you could get off of the strip you know right right yeah and i i've got like two little kids so we would like take them to the children's museum and stuff like that oh yeah i would go to the minor league baseball park so i would like yeah. i'd like to do things that were like not you know yeah so you know how much how much gambling can you do unless you're a high roller you know so. exactly i don't have money to burn man the most i lose is 20 bucks that's it <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah well my wife and i would be on vacation we would set like okay so when a hundred dollars is gone i guess we're gonna go get ice cream you know right right exactly that's Which, smart see <laughs> yeah exactly but that, that's probably not the kind of tourists they're looking to attract well you know hopefully things are better there i mean obviously the 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 greatest thing that's happened sort of for people like myself to visit Vegas are there's just so many more of these residencies now. Like I didn't mm -hmm. make it to the Aerosmith one last year. I was hoping yeah, to go this I, year, I but obviously, to that, too. obviously that's not going to happen. I know the Scorpions were going to have a residency at yep. Hollywood. And so I think Def that, yeah, oh, yeah, Def Leppard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I was, uh, I, I, I went to the one kissed it a few years ago. I think that was like uh -huh. five years ago. Yeah. So yeah. So it's, it's cool when you have those because especially for people like me who could drive there, yeah, you know, it's like, exactly. oh yeah, but this is this is like what the plan around. So sure. I think when you start to get you know venues open, that'd be great. But I, I unfortunately I think it's a way off, a ways off. But, yeah. So how are you and the uh, and the band keeping busy during these times when you can't even play like a you know a smaller room like Vamped? Uh, what are you guys doing? Well, we're writing for a new record right now, and I'll tell you, man, 
in some ways, it's been kind of a blessing. I mean, yeah, obviously we miss playing, but if you're not going to play, I want to make the best use of our time where we rehearse and we were actually writing. Uh, Robbie and I just wrote two new songs last night, man, in one night. So, I mean, it's just the creative juices go, man. And when they, when they start flowing, you got to take advantage of it, you know, and, and really um, buckle down and, and use that time to uh, create. You know, that's sure. where we're at with that. Yeah. And, and I think that a lot of us expect 2021 will be one of those years where, yes, you're going to have a lot of bands out on the road who haven't been. But, you know, there are albums that were supposed to come out this year that yeah. they're just waiting, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So there's going to be so much new music, which I think will be great to kind of have it out at a time when then you sure. can go and, and see those bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, the rest of the band. Uh, I, it was funny because when I was looking at your website, I definitely read it too fast. And I was like, his drummer's Todd Rundgren? And then I'm like, no, you idiot. It says Todd Turgeon. But, uh, you know, when you read it fast, it kind of looks like that. But uh, talk about the rest of the guys in the band. You bet. Um, well, like I say, Robbie and Corey, Robbie's my lead guitar player. Uh, he started out, are, are you, an, uh, are you a uh, L.A. native? Uh, I mean, I've lived here for almost 20 years. I'm from New York originally. Oh, okay. Well, the reason I ask is Robbie uh, started off. He's he's an LA native. He st- he had a band in the 80s um, called Holy Soldier, and he was the original singer for that band. His his name at that time was Robbie Bronze, and then he changed it to Robbie Wolf. It's a family thing, but whatever. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he later became a lead guitar player because he always wanted to be a lead guitar player, not a lead singer. So they, when I met him in 98 and Corey, um, it, we just clicked. The minute I knew that Robbie was the guy, I mean, it was like a thunder, a lightning bolt, man. It, I mean, we, we played acoustically. We just sat down and I just wanted to see what kind of a gelling, you know, chemistry he could have with me vocally. And we started playing Do You Love Me from Kiss. And he locked nice. into that harmony. And I'm like, that's the guy. That's the guy right there. <laughs> oh, so we've, we've been playing off and on together for, you know, since 98. So um, after I moved to Tucson, it kind of put a damper on things because obviously it's tough to, you know, in different cities, unless you're, you know, a major band, those guys can fly in and out or whatever. But I'm just saying like, when you're starting to get going, you all have to really kind of live in this. It's a lot better if you live in the same city, obviously, sure. you know, um, and Corey, uh, he's from Orange County originally, my bass player. Um, and he's been in a ton of bands and we just have a long family history together as far as the three of us, you know, from, from that time on, um, we've, you know, we've been, except for Corey, we've been through divorces. We've been, you know, all kinds of shit. So, <laughs> but yeah, man, and Todd, what happened was, is we started off with our first single was never be another you. And, I needed a drummer last minute because the guy I had um, canceled on me, couldn't do it. So, which ironically was our first drummer, Kyle Kelly. <laughs> he lives in, he lives in Columbus, Ohio, but he was going to fly out to Vegas and record it with us. Well, he didn't do it for whatever reason. And I had to, I called Todd last minute, like, like literally two days before we recorded it. And I was still in Tucson at the time. Cause I, I knew I was getting ready to move to Vegas. Right. And I'm like, hey, bro, can you help me out? And just, you know, so he came in like a like a champion, dude. And he just kicked ass. 
So originally we were going to use Todd, but for some reason, I don't know if the wires got crossed or what, but we thought he was with, was doing something else and wasn't, wasn't available for some reason. I don't know. But um, Corey at the time had another band called Tail Gun, and they had broken up. And their drummer was Mike Mittling, our, our, the drummer we used from that point forward. After so long, we recorded um, our third single was uh, Screaming Aside. So we brought Mike in and we started playing shows uh, May 17th of 19. Our first show was with Lita Ford at the Whiskey. And then we came back and played the, the night after here at Counts Vanth with Phil X in the drills. So, I mean, um, yeah, we were lucky. We got, you know, um, granted the Whiskey shows, you know, you have to pay to play to get on those. But the Vanth, that was a lot of fun, man. We, we got really, we drew a pretty good crowd. So that helped, you know, that helped locally, you know. So, um, yeah, we just got, you know, we just, everything was going great. And then for some reason in uh, June, uh, Mike, I don't know if he got stir crazy with the epidemic or, or what, but I don't, and there's nothing negative I'm saying about it or anything. Everybody's got their own reasons for sure. what, what they do. But for some reason, his heart wasn't in it, and he decided to leave. And I called Todd back again, and his luck would have it. Thank God he came back, you know, and, and now we're we're a band, you know. Now everybody's on the same page, so it's all good, man. We're very happy. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I was uh, when I was poking around the website, I saw that you know you guys did play at the Whiskey with Lita Ford, and I'm like, well, how did I miss that show? I should have seen this band. I don't yeah, know, I don't know right. what I was doing that night, but <laughs> I did also read some of the other bands that uh, you know you guys have played with, and I saw that mm. Tesla was on there. Yeah. And uh, I talked to Frank Hannon a few weeks ago. He's great. You know, he's quite oh, a character, yeah. he's, and also you know. Brother phenomenal musician that i've yeah. admired for whatever yeah. 30 plus years yeah, me too <laughs> yeah and so he ends up playing guitar on the the single that you have coming or it's already out uh jukebox uh, hero cover uh, the farney right. song so uh -huh. talk a little bit about how uh, frank became involved in jukebox hero well frank and i have known each other since 2010 and what happened was is tesla was on tour with the scorpions back then They'd come to Tucson, but the night before, Frank had put together a new solo band. I think he put out Six String Soldiers at that time. And they were playing in Tucson. And ironically, I had a drummer in Tucson, and I had Corey and Robbie drive all the way from Vegas to do, help me do this show with them. So I opened for Frank um, in Tucson at a place called The Rock. And um, at the end of the night, I got up and sang Modern Day Cowboy with him. And ever since that night, man, him and I, you know, we could literally not talk to each other for a year and pick right off up where we left off, you know? So, I mean, we've, we've done, so last year, fast forward to last year, um, which I got to get real quick. I got to give a shout out to my brother, Brad Coletti. We, him and I back in Tucson had a band called Scare Card and we played with Tesla at the Ava Amphitheater. That was really cool. But um, anyway, I, I went up, Frank called me and he said, hey man, I've got this private party booked and they want a whole set of Tesla. You want to sing a whole set of Tesla with me? And I'm like, let me think about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so, so I flew up to Sacramento and we, it was so much fun, bro. We had just a blast. And I mean, if I could have told my 16 year old self, I'd be doing that, you know, you know, 30, 40 yeah. years later or 30 years later, I don't, you know, it'd been like my head would have exploded, but anyway, it was so much fun. <laughs> so I said to him at the end of the gig, I'm like, Hey bro, um, I'm going to be doing a new cover of a remake of uh, jukebox hero. Do you want, would you mind laying down the lead on it for me? And he's like, sure. Just send me the tracks. So I'll just knock it out. So that's, that's kind of where we're at with that. 
you know so right and uh obviously uh, uh, you know people know the song and i i think you you guys did a great version of it what was the decision on let's you know why do you decide that that's the song if you're gonna do a a cover or a remake of a song what was it about jukebox hero that you feel like this is the this is the song <laughs> to do right now well honestly the story behind that is when i was a kid Gosh, I would have been like nine when that came out, 1980, I think it was. <laughs> uh, my dad used to play that. He had, he bought four, four and he'd, he'd play it. Uh, back then, we had cassette tapes and you know vinyl. But he, would, he always said that that song reminded him of me. And when he passed this year, in Jan the end of January, I did it as a tribute to him. Well, that, yeah, I mean, obviously that has to be great to, uh, you know, have that association yeah. with your dad and to be able to do it. And then, you know, for people that don't even know the backstory, like, oh, this is a really cool version of this song. And yeah. as I mentioned earlier, uh, jeffcarlsonband.com, that's where you can find that. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, everything. Um, I was, uh, I, 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 so I did, as I mentioned to you before, uh, I, I poked around on the website and I looked at some of the other stuff, including the, there were some videos on there and I really liked the song you had called so long. I wanted to talk about the video oh, for that. So did you just go out to the desert and there was a crashed airplane? Is it that simple? <laughs> cause, cause I was just like, I mean, there's no, there's no way that's fake. You know, why would yeah. you, why would you have the crashed airplane unless it was there? So yeah. I was kind of wondering about that. Well, at the time we had a producer um, named Brett Hansen. Uh, he's, he was a good friend of mine. He's, he was dynamite in uh, helping us create, uh, you know, shoot the video and, and everything. Um, so there's a place between Vegas and Laughlin on that road. And it's called Nelson, Nevada. And that's their big claim to fame. They have a little, it's like a little tourist thing. So we rented out that area from like, God, we shot that video in July of last year. No, July of 18, actually, is when it was. And this was before, I, Corey couldn't even make the video because he had to work that day for some reason or whatever. And I, I wasn't moved out. I just moved here because I moved here in July of, eight, or June of 18. So July came and we just we went out at like eight in the morning and found this place and um yeah we just filmed it and by noon man i think i was getting ready to die of heat exhaustion it was like triple digits yeah as soon as as soon as you said july i was like oh yeah it looked hot you know? yeah it <laughs> just... was brutal <laughs> yeah but that's just such a cool thing. Sometimes, you know, you just, there's just something yeah. out there and you're like, oh yeah. Cause you know, it, it would have looked cool even if you just filmed it out in the desert, but it's like, no, let's go to where the airplane is. So right, right, I thought right. that was pretty cool. And you know, that yeah. that's a, there's a, there's a few songs that uh, people are able to, you know, download if they go to jeffcarlson.com, they can find it. Obviously the yeah. primary focus is jukebox hero. So you were talking about working on uh, new material and the idea would be, for a full album or just some more songs? Or? Yeah, no, we're gonna do a full length record this time. Um, and that's another thing I was getting into as far as writing and spending our time wisely is we're actually able to rip, we've got a couple of old songs or several, uh, three or four old songs that we used to play that uh, we basically ripped them apart and rewrote them and made them updated for today's world basically um with production and just different you know uh, making the songs actually go somewhere by doing the detail work you know you have to do a lot of detail work to be to for me anyway to really feel proud of what you're because i don't at the end of the day i don't want to go back and go well 
I should have done this or should, you know what I mean? So I, I want these songs to be exactly the best they could possibly be and be completely final with them. Because when we originally wrote them, a lot of times back then we were playing around town a lot and it, nothing really, it was like they were 75% done, but they weren't 100% done, you know what I mean? So we had to re, rethink all this and, and, and we're trying to, um, they had to, I, I think we had a lot of great ideas. But like a, if, if we were to say hire a Mutt Lang or, you know, or whoever, uh, that's what they do is they would come in and literally rip apart your songs to make them go somewhere as, as far as being uh, dynamics and, you know, and really um, making them the best they could possibly be. So that's kind of what we've been doing and also writing new, new stuff too. So, yeah. Right. Uh, so for those that there, there's a, going to be a, an audio only version of this interview as part of the show, but then also for people watching the video on YouTube, they're going to have noticed the whole time that you've been on that there's a lot of uh, Elvis uh, if, uh, paintings and stuff behind you. So, yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, take a moment, one, to ask you about clearly the uh, impact that Elvis had on your life and uh, give you a chance to flip the camera around and show off some of that, uh, some of the cool looking stuff you have there. <laughs> Thank you. Elvis Presley, to me, without him, obviously, I don't think any of us would be here right now. You know, I, I just, I, you know, I, unfortunately, I was only six when he passed, you know, but he, the, the magic that man had as far as being able to connect uh, to a crowd and his dynamics on stage, you know, everything about him, he had everything. He had just everything, man. I mean, there wasn't anything he couldn't do. And he, um, talk about, you know, it was just somebody who was gifted, you know, and it, it's just very inspiring. And it's always been very inspiring to me, you know. Um, let's see here. Uh, I don't, I'm not, I'm kind of new to this. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Uh I don't know if you guys. Yeah, well, I see, I see some you young see Elvis. I see some. Uh, yeah, so there's a, a sheet of paper. I see yeah. some. You got some jumpsuit Elvis as well, yeah. you know. And I saw the the license plate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I used to live in Memphis when I was a kid, and that's from Rock 103 out of Memphis. Okay. Um, but no, that sheet of paper was given to me uh, by a friend who uh, I used to know uh, Elvis's bodyguard, Dick Robe. Um, who lived here in Las Vegas, and he passed recently, um, unfortunately. Great guy. Um, but my buddy gave him, th and th that was an authentic uh, lyric sheet from uh, a song he did in, the, in 76, 1976 and 77 called Let Me Be There by Living Newton-John, and he signed it with a ballpoint pen. So that's like my, you know, <laughs> holy grail of all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, that's, uh, that's such a great thing to have. And there's so much stuff. And yeah, obviously, uh, you know, I've always uh, appreciated uh, Elvis for, uh, for really, you know, everything. And it's interesting, because you check in at different points in his career, like, you know, the 68 comeback special is oh, yeah. also amazing, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and it's like, yeah. even when you see the, the later stuff, you're like, yeah, but listen to him sing, you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. You know, and it's, uh, you know, so uh, I, of course, you know, when I was in Memphis, of course, I made the time to go to Graceland. And it's just, uh -huh. it's just like such a cool thing to see. Cause like, yeah, it's the guy's house. Right. But, you know, I, I love that sort of, you know, getting to see that. And so you've got like a little mini Graceland there in your room. <laughs> I try. <laughs> I actually, I don't know if you can see it or not. Let's see here. Um, you, see, you guys see the, see that lamp? See, uh, yeah. That lamp, actually, I, 
my wife and I got that at a place here in Las Vegas and it's modeled after if you go downstairs at Graceland, mm-hmm. the TV room across from the TV room, there's a, the billiards room where he's got that pool table and all that. Sure, sure. There's a lamp. Obviously his is nicer, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lamp very similar to that. And you yeah. know what I'm like? That's yeah. So that's right. You know, <laughs> If I trust me, if I could, I would remake my house exactly like Grace. <laughs> I, I, I the, the, when I was there, I was just like, man, I want a jungle room. You know, I know like, right? I want to be to have a jungle room. You know? My wife won't let me, but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, when he was alive, it was actually, and it looks kind of gaudy now because, but everything was red. The carpet was red. The, I mean, everything. And once once he passed and Priscilla took over, she gutted it and, and made it like when she lived there in the early '60s, you know. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't I didn't really even think about that. I just kind of figured yeah. that you know after he passed away, they just kind of left it. But yeah, that I guess that makes sense to to do it that way. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, not that long ago, uh, and for some people it'll be the same episode. I, I talked to uh, a couple of uh, other musicians who. Uh, started out in Vegas, uh, Mark Slaughter and this guy, uh, Joshua Seth Egan, and they talked about a project they were doing together. At, they work with the same publicist as you. That's how I- Oh, Jody, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And yeah. um, they talked about growing up in Vegas and it was just sort of like the idea of like going to a, see live music was just like, well, yeah, of course, but you would go see everything, you know? I mean, they talked right. about even seeing like, you know, Tony Orlando, you know, just right. sort of like whatever, but Red what, Fox. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you talked about when you were kids, you were in Memphis, but you did spend a lot of time, you know, growing up in Vegas, it sounded like. So no, what, actually, well, uh, actually what happened is, is I, I originally was born in Illinois and moved to uh, Mississippi, or I'm sorry, uh, Missouri when I was a right. kid. And my dad had gotten custody of me and we, he'd gotten remarried. So we moved to North Carolina, Jacksonville's out there at uh, Cherry Point. And then, uh, cause she was in the Marines. And then we moved to Millington where there's a Naval base there in Millington where she, they transferred her. Um, I think there's a Marine spot there, whatever. But um, we lived there for a few years and then I grew up, I went back to Missouri and grew up oh, until, yeah. And by the time, I, I think I was like, God, what it would have been. I was like 24 at that time. I moved to Reno and then, all over a chick. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the, yeah. So, but what's, uh, what's some of the earliest live music you saw? Obviously hearing music is, is, you know, really important, but actually going to see it, what, uh, well, whether it's I'm, the first show you ever went to or not, what are some that you remember? Like, Oh, this really made a big impact on me. Um, when I was four years old, my mom took me to see kiss on the alive tour, La Crosse, nice. Wisconsin. And then we, she took me to see black Oak, Arkansas. And I met Jim Dandy Mangrum, the the singer. Sure. And at that time, he was awesome. He was he was it back then. You know, he was like David Lee Roth before David Lee Roth. You know, <laughs> and and uh, he was so cool to me, man. He just made this really huge impact. I mean, I was just like my mouth open and <laughs> flipped out. You know, I was like, that, that's what I want to be. You know. <laughs> So ever since then, you know, music's been in my blood, you know, and it's not, you just either have it or you don't. There's no in between, you know what I mean? Um, I'm just fortunate now. Uh, in 2001, um, I got, I've got sick with Crohn's disease and I actually died for almost three minutes on the operating table. Wow. So because of that, I've had seven surgeries, uh, but I'm okay now. Thank God. They had to take all but six inches of my large intestine out, unfortunately, you know, and 
it just, you know, I got, I'm, I'm better now, but I'm not, you know, I'll never be normal, quote unquote. Sure, you know? sure. So unfortunately I've, I've had to, uh, I'm on disability because I can't work a day job because of, you know, my issues with that, but it hasn't stopped me from pursuing music. And I owe all of that to my wife, who's able to help me not only financially, but mentally and stably, you know, uh, she's very stable to help me um, gr keep grounded and, and be the best I can be. And she's just done nothing but support me, which, man, I'll tell you, if, if you're blessed enough to have, you know, a partner who can love you and support you and not stand in your way of your dreams, man, that's that's half the battle right there. You know, without yeah. her, I, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I can uh, concur to that. My, my wife is a, a, a television writer, so, you know, she oh, that's okay. awesome. and then, yeah. you know, uh, I'm yeah. able to, you know, I, I, I do the things I do and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I said to her years ago, I, just, I can't wait till you make more money than me. That's going to be the greatest <laughs> for us. You know? so. Yeah. But uh, Jeff, it's been uh, great getting to know you. Great chatting, Thank and uh, you, I look forward to there being a time when the Jeff Carlson band is back at the whiskey, and then uh, yeah, I'll be too. like, "Hey, remember I had you show off? Yeah. Your, I should yeah. show off your Elvis lamp." Yeah, uh, man. <laughs> and people can, as I said before, people can find Jukebox Hero and other music from the Jeff Carlson band at jeffcarlsonband.com. Keeping it nice and simple, Jeff. Thanks so much for taking the time Thank to you, chat Kristen. today. I really appreciate you it. Bet, brother. Thank you very much. That one guitar. Zach Bear of the Zach Bear Band, who have a new song called Ordinary Girl from an EP of the same name. Welcome to the show, Zach. Hey, thanks a lot, Christian. How are you? I'm doing great. I really appreciate you taking the time. Reading up on you, I uh, saw at first that uh, you're the CEO of a company that I assume is pronounced Venue, but it's V-N-U-E. So uh, yeah. I figured I'm just filling in the E and uh, it, it's not some crazy like Venue, you know, it's it's not some, some alien word. Um, and I wanted to hear a little bit about some of the work you do there, including something that sounded really interesting. Uh, there's, I guess, some new technology that is ensuring that creators are paid fairly for the music that they uh, they created and whether or not you know people play it in public and that sort of thing. Yeah, oh, so that, that is correct. So uh, Venue is a music technology company. I've been CEO of that for about four years. And business know me as being CEO of another company called DiscLive, D-I-S-C-L-I-V-E, which I've been doing in a couple of different formats uh, for about 17 years. Um, DiscLive is known as the pioneer in uh, instant live recording. So if you go to a show and Nine times out of ten, if you've been to a show and you can get the product, like a CD or a USB drive after the show, 
that was probably a disk live product that you picked up. Um, and Venue is, uh, as I mentioned, is a technology company. And uh, with disk live being the sister company, I actually got interested in the space of um, uh, uh, brick and mortar establishments, uh, like bars and restaurants and things like that, and how the general licensing is handled for, for music. Um, so a lot of people don't realize it, but when you go to, into a bar or restaurant, um, the owners of those establishments have to uh, license any kind of music that's played in that venue, whether it's um, recorded music or it's karaoke or a live band, uh, they have to pay for that. And the way that this has been done for the last hundred years uh, is through uh, basically a blanket license so that a, a, a performing rights organization that, um, that is in charge of collecting the royalties on a particular songwriter's work, um, what they will do is make the owner of the establishment get a blanket license, and usually those are pretty expensive, um, which has resulted in, unfortunately, a lot of businesses either not being able to afford those or uh, the PROs coming after them. Um, uh, so that's been a problem unto itself for a long time, but what we found out was that um, because of the way that the PROs handle the royalties that are actually collected from these businesses, many of the actual songwriters and um, musicians whose work is performed in that venue are not getting paid for that. Um, and the main reason is there hasn't been any kind of technology that would act, you know, actually track the music that's going on in, inside one of these places. And uh, uh, as a result of that, you know, last couple of years, we've been working on a technology called Soundster. That's S-O-U-N-D-S-T-R. And it's basically a, a cloud uh, service um, with some hardware and some other software modules so that you put a piece of hardware into um, uh, a business or even a radio station, we can track the music that's being played in there and then we can correlate that back to uh, who the, the, the stakeholders are uh, in terms of songwriter and publisher and uh, uh, even the PROs uh, that are uh, uh, you know, in charge of that catalog. Uh, this is something that has not been done in the past. So it's a, you know, it's a brand new uh, initiative. We just went into beta testing with it um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but kind of long story short is like if you walk into any given uh, bar <laughs> during the week and hear Mustang Sally playing, um, chances are the writers, publisher uh, of that work are not being paid because typically the money goes to uh, the popular artists that are, you know, hitting the top of the charts or being played on the radio or having these big massive tours. So there's a whole segment of middle tier artists and lower tier artists uh, that are not getting what they're paid. And to give you an idea of the, the, the level of the problem, um, about, I'd say probably 70% of businesses that should be licensed are not licensed because it's cost prohibitive or maybe they just don't understand that they need to get that license. But on the other 30% that's being collected, it's about a billion dollars in royalty fees between the major uh, PROs. So a lot of that's going missing and, and what we wanna do is we kinda wanna rewrite the system and, uh, you know, I'm not going to say we're going to be a replacement for PROs, but I think that you know, the music industry has been going to uh, a, a full transparency kind of situation for a long time. And, and this particular segment is the last holdout of what I would call of those that are really not transparent. So that's kind of what we're working on with Soundster. It's really exciting. 
Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you sort of touched on it that the smaller and mid-level artists aren't the ones that uh, are going to have somebody looking out for them, uh, whereas your large artists and or their estates, uh, right at the top of my head is Prince, who they're very protective of his music. I have gone to a favorite karaoke establishment and uh, was informed that uh, we can't play any Prince music anymore because it's, <laughs> yeah, right. it's that level of, you know, if you've ever looked for a Prince song on YouTube, you'll notice like, oh, they're they're not there. That video that I found, you know, two months ago isn't there. And, you know, there are obviously others, but he's he's seems to be the one that uh that, that it was the most important to. And yeah, you know, if if you can have people on payroll that it's like, okay, great, go, you know, type in this artist's name on YouTube and uh, you know, see what you find. And in general, I know that's not exactly the same thing as performance, but it is, you know an example of how easy it is for if the Rolling Stones want to protect their copyrights, that's not going to be a problem. You know, they can certainly uh, afford it. So that's why it, it really stood out because it, it definitely seems like it's uh, it's very interesting. You know, the idea that there's all those songs in, in a jukebox, a good bar with a great jukebox. You're like, are they going to pay everybody in there? And, and the, the answer, unfortunately, is usually no, no, they're not, you know. That's correct. And that's one of the big issues I had. Uh, I actually own a couple of small venues. And one of the things that really drove me to the solution was that I would get these guys walking in from ASCAP or BMI and they would, you know, basically twist your arm behind your back and say, you've got to get a license or, you know, it's a copyright infringement, blah, blah, blah. And my question then was, well, how do I know that you're actually paying Elton John when his, you know, song plays? And their answer was, well, you know, that's not really my department or blah, blah, blah. You know, and I knew at that point, you know, that it was really kind of a, a huge gray area. And then we actually uh, confirmed that um, the way that I got involved with Soundster itself was that we acquired a company called Soundster. Um, and the president of that company was um, actually a musician, uh, Aaron Bucarelli, who was uh, the drummer for um, Hawthorne Heights uh, during the 2000s. And he found out that he was basically getting ripped off to the tune of about half a million dollars because of royalties that were not being paid because of the way the PROs were sampling the music, you know, a, a very, very small sample once a quarter. So they weren't picking up the fact that um, I think the Cincinnati Reds were using his song as the basis of one of their theme songs or whatever. So he was, you know, out quite a bit of money for that. And that's what prompted him to start Soundster. And I guess we kind of both came at it from different angles, but you know, the problem's big and it's, it's a, a global issue. It's not just confined to this country but literally the only space that, that's left that doesn't have any type of di digital tracking is you know, physical establishments and in-venue in kind of uh, scenarios. Yeah, well, this sort of uh, brings me uh, to uh, two things. One is the idea that obviously a lot of artists who are still working, you know, one of the biggest revenue streams they have uh, up until earlier this year was performing live and the majority of them can't do that. So this suddenly becomes, you know, really the only source of income that they have. So it, it could be more important to that. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, some live venues. Uh, I assume that the venue that Ordinary Girl was filmed in, you can see it says uh, Rock House right behind it. So I guess that's there in Memphis. I assume that's one of your uh, venues that you own there. Yeah. And so I was watching it and it, was, it just, it's so funny because it's this weird throwback to, you know, way back in March, what it used to, what used to be this regular occurrence for people like me, you know, going to a show and seeing a band and, you know, all the drinking and, you know, people standing around not wearing masks and all that. And it's just like, oh, this shouldn't seem weird 
but yet it is. And I'm like, well, he must've filmed this before March. I don't even know. And, you know, it's just like, you know, how many performances have you seen that are in a club or a bar setting? And you, I would never have thought that before, but uh, I was like really focused on it, watching it this time, you know? Well, what's interesting is we really didn't have, uh, uh, we filmed it after March, but we didn't have a lot of people in the venue. I mean, so the filming was really very, very cagey in the way that we put it together. Uh, so there's a lot less people in there that you really think they are, but I'm glad it looks like yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it looked like a good crowd. And, uh, you know, and I mean, that's sort of the thing. I mean, uh, so I, as I referenced, I know you're in, in Memphis, so I don't quite know what the regulations are there, but uh, literally earlier today, today, September 1st, while we're recording this, and uh, I was hearing about how music venues are going to open in New Jersey but specifically to either whatever's less, 25% capacity or 150 people. And I think, you know, if you had those kind of restrictions, there's probably certain, you know, like, oh, UK, you could have like a singer songwriter with a guitar. There's, you know, small local yeah. acts, you could do that, but you can't actually bring in a national act and be like, they're going to be performing here. Let's sell tickets if you have right. to do it, you know, seated for 150 people. So, what do you see as some of these challenges? Is it, it can you make money at 50% capacity or is even that, you know, unrealistic? Well, I mean, I think you can. I mean, I think the biggest challenge is not necessarily for um, the kind of places that I have or some of the smaller venues that, that have managed to survive. I'm sure there's been a lot that haven't been able to. Um, I think what's really going to take a long time to recover is the major concert industry. And, you know, the other uh, the other facet of what venue and what disc live does is, you know, we go out and record these artists on the road and, and uh, release the, the, the content. And um, we were actually scheduled to go out and, and uh, record Matchbox 20 uh, this summer. And that tour obviously has now been put off to 2021. Um, so there's a lot of speculation about how the con uh, concert industry itself is going to recover and whether or not, you know, if, is it really going to be in 2021? I mean, I, I think it will be, you know, but there's been some other, you know, um, uh, talk about it. it might even be in, you know, 2022. Uh, and, you know, I really hope, hope that that's not the case. Uh, but I think that the smaller places are, are going to come back faster. And, you know, no, it's probably not going to be as much revenue. And there's probably going to be some adjustment in terms of uh, ticketing and things like that. This, tr this threw the entire industry on its head. So I think everybody's really just kind of trying to figure out their way through it. And, you know, we don't have any shows booked yet at, at either of my places, and it's probably not going to be till the end of the year before we do that. Um, but, you know, we're fortunate because we're also a restaurant and a bar. We can keep, you know, we can keep the doors open by serving food. But a lot of places are not that lucky, and those are the ones that, that I'm more concerned about than, than places like ours. Right, and you have places that are scrambling to figure out how to add a menu, you know, and I mean, you heard, I mean, I heard a lot about places in New York City that they felt like bars weren't offering substantial enough food. It's like, no, you can't sell people a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for $5, you know? And so, <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, and, and it's, it, 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 there's, there's no blanket standard. And I mean, that's the weird thing too, is because if, you know, any size venues open in New Jersey, that's great, but uh, they're not open in New York. They're not open in Connecticut and, and in parts of Pennsylvania, I think they are. So it's very regional. And I think you're right that there will be places where you can have large shows, especially outdoor ones. But I mean, a perfect example would be a tour that got postponed to next year that had uh, Def Leppard, Motley Crue. It was called 
uh, and Poison. It was called the Stadium Tour, and it was like, yeah, we're going to play in the largest venues with the most people possible. And you wonder, like, can something like that actually get pulled off? And it's hard to say. I, I think you're right. Like, your your theaters and clubs that level will be able to come back much sooner than that. You know, I mean, it's it's Absolutely. not either of our, our areas of expertise, but just as a fan, I mean, just the idea of going to a live sporting event, you can't even imagine being able to do that, you know, even something with like 20 to 50,000 people, you know, so it's uh, it's so hard to predict, you know. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it, it's it, it's literally nothing that anybody's ever prepared for, you know, because there's just there, there's no blueprint for like, yeah, but what if you can't open for six months? Well, what's happened? Well, there's a, you know, people could get sick if they come to our bar. So yeah, it's it, it's a. Uh, it's it's so strange to have to think about it and yeah when i i don't have i didn't have a ton of concert tickets for this year but when they were like okay well we'll see you literally 11 months later i'm like really even that seems soon sometimes so i guess we'll see uh so uh i did want to kind of talk a little bit about how all of this ties into something that i know is important to you uh you know i was reading uh recently about how one of the underreported side effects i think of this lockdown and people you know people's legitimate fears of coronavirus covid-19 is you have so many people that are home alone you know i mean i i have a wife i have two kids so there's a part of me that's like oh i would love that idea of uh, being home alone but i think the reality of it is and i have plenty of friends who are single don't have roommates that you know when you're spending that much time by yourself Obviously, uh, you can get incredibly depressed, and I've read about how uh, there's a lot more drinking and drugs and depression, and I know that uh, you're working with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and I think that obviously that would be an important cause at any time, but I feel like this is something that people aren't focusing on, that being told you can't go outside today or any day for six months and people, you know, there's uh, uh, someone very close to me uh, has a, a spouse who is literally afraid to go outside because this person turns on the TV and everything they see makes them think like, I can't go outside. Everything's on fire. I could get sick. I could get you sick. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about how an organization like that, how important it is, like I said, at any time, but especially right now. Well, yeah, I think it is too. And, and uh, you know, there's obviously there's been some, um, some publicity around uh, an increase in domestic violence and things like that during the lockdown because people are stuck at home and you know if they <laughs> they're having issues already then they're going to have a lot more issues but I think uh, in terms of um, uh, depression and suicide and mental il illness that um, isolation certainly is not helpful and um, I think you know I, I'm no expert in this field but you know I have friends like you have that um, have really been challenged through this time, you know, they haven't been able to get out, they're lonely, uh, they're de depressed. And, um, you know, and I, you know, I've, I've had people that are close to me in the past that have committed suicide. And, you know, I just felt like this is a really important topic that we should be talking about. And uh, by partnering with the uh, uh, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and, you know, donating some of the, some of the proceeds from sales of the EP and the single, uh, at least I hope I can make a little bit bit of impact. And then by doing interviews like this, I hope I can bring more focus to the fact that, you know, people might be, you know, hurting or lonely around us. And 
we're not really able to tell that because some people don't put off those vibes, you know, they can cover it up completely. And then all of a sudden it's too late and they're gone. Um, and, uh, you know, my message is I think that we as people need to be more aware or have our, you know, radar turned on to a certain degree um, and, and be looking for just minute signs that might be something wrong because, you know, extending the hand to somebody that you may or may not know is in that mode um, could be the difference between saving their life and them being gone forever. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask, you know, hey, are you okay? And is everything going all right? Do you want me to come over? And, you know, you know, there's a variety of things that you can do to try to make people feel better. But I think that is something that as we start moving through this pandemic, I think that statistics are going to show that there's probably been an increase in, in, in suicides, unfortunately. And to your point about not being able to spot it. I mean, obviously this was a huge national news, but uh, you know, we heard on Friday that uh, the actor Chadwick Boseman had had uh, colon cancer and he was diagnosed four years ago and he starred in several action oh. movies in that time, you know, specifically Black Panther, which he's in basically every scene and no one had any idea. So if you can hide that sort of physical ailment, obviously anything that's going on emotionally or mentally, it's very easy to be like, oh yeah, I'm fine you know, uh, especially when you're not getting to see people. So uh, I think that, uh, it, you know, here we are September 1st, it says uh, that September is uh, National Suicide Prevention Month. So it seems like the perfect time for us to be having this conversation. And yeah, I think that's great that you're uh, donating a portion of the proceeds. Uh, the EP is uh, out today, September 1st, uh, as we're speaking. And there's a, there is a video for it, as we referenced, for the, the title song, uh, Ordinary Girl. Uh, so, uh, and everybody can just find that, I assume, on your website, social media, all that kind of stuff, right? You bet, uh, zachbearmusic.com, and then uh, all of social media name is Zach Bear Official, Z-A-C-H-B-A-I-R Official. And it's on all the Spotify and blah, 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 all that stuff. It's out there. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And so, and, and listening to the song a few times and listening to the EP, uh, I, I was like trying to listen very, very closely, like vocally for, you know, influences. And I heard like a range that went from, uh, from Bowie and a little bit uh, Pete Townsend, Roger Daltrey, especially on uh, Rutherford Drive, but all the way up to, you know, some really high level, like Jeff Tate of Queensryche sort of level stuff. So uh, I, I heard a lot in there and I thought that was great because, uh, you know, I was just like, I listen to one song. I'm like, okay, I think I have a feel. I'm like, oh no, this one doesn't sound like that. So I'm sort of wondering who some of the vocalists were that you just admired. And did you ever be like, oh, I, I feel as though I want to sing like so-and-so, or is that just, is it just the music you grew up with? And that's uh, how your style developed. You know, I, mean, I, I, don't you know, I grew up, it was weird because I grew up with a lot of great bands like, like, you know, Boston and Journey. Uh, but I also really embraced the, the 90s era with uh, the Alice in Chains, you know, and all these guys, Comfortable Pilots and all that. But, you know, probably my earliest vocal influence was Brad Delp from Boston. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet them when I was in high school. And um, um, I always, you know, my range is, it sometimes can be pretty good. Other times it, it, it may not be. Uh, but I've always liked, uh, like, you know, Journey and Steve Perry uh, vocals and, um, some other influences are probably uh, um, Don Henley um, and, uh, of course, Jeff Tate, I mean, and, and Bowie, you know, I mean, you nailed two of them right there. So, yeah, I got chills when you said that. So I appreciate that. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, and, and uh, yeah, I just, it, it's obviously, if you could be compared to either to those two guys, and I don't know how many people uh, you, you get, you get both in there, but uh, yeah, you know, and it's funny, you were talking about, about Journey, the, those songs, like, uh, you know, Steve Perry is very honest, like, yeah, I can't, I can't sing those songs anymore. You know, he put out a new album, I think, last year or two years ago, and he's like, yeah, I can't, I can't go out and tour and sing those Journey songs. And that's why it's so impressive that, you know, their current singer, Arnell, who they, literally found on YouTube singing karaoke songs. And I saw them with Def Leppard, I don't know, like two years ago. And you're just, you look at this guy and you're just like, it, that noise comes out of him and it, you know, literally filled the forum here in LA, you know? So uh, right. yeah. yeah, Arnell, yeah. So it's, it, 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 it's always interesting when you can be like, yeah, so you're used to that sound coming out of Steve Perry and, and you know, here's, here's this, uh, this guy. And then you know, he's been with them for like 10 years now. So it's, it's so weird to think about, you know, the new guys in a lot of these bands. Um, I did want you to talk, uh, speaking of bands, about uh, some of the other musicians that, are, that make up the Zach Bear Band. Sure, absolutely. So um, uh, my bass player is a guy by the name of Daniel Dwight. And he is a founding member of uh, the band Saving Able. And he also played in a band for a while called Ingram Hill um, out of uh, Memphis. Then uh, my lead guitar player, his name is Jeff Cobble. And uh, Jeff kind of made his name, I guess we want to call it that. He, he's played in a, a number of different types of bands. I mean, I love his uh, uh, versatility uh, from country to metal. And um, uh, his biggest band, I guess, was Medieval Steel, um, which is a, you know, kind of an epic rock touring band, um, probably better known in Europe than they are here. Uh, and um, then uh, my drummer, his name uh, is Jeff Ward, and uh, Jeff also lives here in the Mid-South, and he's played in a few, few decent-sized Nashville bands, I guess. And, um, you know, I pull all these guys together whenever uh, I did Rutherford Drive, and it was pretty much magic, so we've stuck together ever since, and hopefully we'll be together for a long time. And uh, obviously, I have to ask the same question I asked basically everybody these last few months. So uh, what were your plans in terms of uh, promoting the album, you know, playing shows? And what's the reality of how those plans have uh, had to be adjusted? Yeah, so uh, I think really the reality has changed that to a certain degree. It's changed that ordinarily we would go out and start playing shows right away, promoting the, promoting the record. But now I think what we're really having to do is refocus to, to really raise our sharp focus on getting the single, uh, you know, to hopefully chart at some point in time and really get the word out through interviews like with yourself and then build up to the point where when uh, 2021 comes around and the touring season comes back, then we're ready to go at that point and maybe we're, you know, even a little bit closer to some of the stages we want to be playing. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, I think that uh, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, I was talking about this uh, with a, another artist just last week that you know, sometimes I'll ask that question and uh, I was surprised to get an answer. I was speaking with uh, Randy Rand from the band Autograph. And when I asked him and he was like, oh, we played a show last week. We played to like 7,000 people <laughs> outdoors in Colorado. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, outdoors, especially in Colorado, it's like you feel like maybe there's plenty of way to space people out. And, you know, you hear about shows and, and you know, uh, that uh, sometimes you hear about maybe uh, the, you wonder about the health of the people afterwards. Like you heard some things about Sturgis, a lot of bands that played there, but you hear about, a, it's mostly outdoor shows. So it, it depends on where you talk to people. Uh, you know, like people will write to me from other parts of the country. They're like, no, there's, there's an occasional show. So 
I don't know, when you start to hear stuff like that, I think it's encouraging that, yeah, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but you start to feel like, okay, it might not be as far off as it seemed two, three months ago, you know, where there was a point where, you know, if you clicked on the wrong headline, you'd think, oh my God, we're never going to be able to see a concert again, you know? <laughs> Doomsday, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we were, before this came along, we were booked for some really nice shows on festivals and you know, fairs and things like that. And obviously all that got canceled. Uh, so, I mean, I think, it, you know, if things keep going the way they're going, maybe sooner than later we'll be able to play. But, uh, you know, for the meantime, we're just going to focus on the uh, on the promotion of the record and doing everything we can to, to get people to, you know, buy it and hopefully contribute to the, the Suicide uh, Foundation. Um, and just, we're going to keep rolling. Uh, and uh, as we said earlier, uh, to get more information and to find the video and the, the EP, you can also keep in touch at uh, Zach Bear Official. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all three of those. And then ZachBearMusic.com is the website. Uh, Zach, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, good luck with the EP. And uh, I hope to uh, hear about uh, some actual touring coming up for you uh, much sooner than later. Me too, man. Hey, thank you so much. I sure appreciate the opportunity. That's all the time we have for now join us next week for blackcast 398 when we will finally reveal what our plans are for blackcast number 400 giving me a week to figure out what they are but until then we will see you next time on the blackcast treasures lost moments caught in time